On this week's episode of Not All at Once, we have our very first interview with a dear friend from Twitter and real life, Palestinian Bitcoiner. We talk about the current market conditions, how he got into Bitcoin mining, the similarities between Bitcoin and the Muslim faith, as well as how he's using Bitcoin to help others in need. We really hope you enjoy this one. Let's go. up guys we are back with another episode of not all at once and today we've got a really special one today we are interviewing and talking with palestinian bitcoiner he is our friend from twitter and then we got to meet him down at the bitcoin conference uh earlier in april so i want to give him a quick introduction i pulled some information from um twitter and so palestinian bitcoiner he is a humble pleb he's a miner he is a core node runner, and he is a lightning node operator. He was once a student of Saifedeen's, and he has also worked closely with Coinbits. And what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about his history with Bitcoin mining. Uh, what does it look like to get into mining today? We're going to talk about the current market condition. I know it's top of mind for a lot of people out there. We're going to talk about how Bitcoin is used uh, inside of Palestine given just the certain policies that are in place in the U.S. and Israel. And then I want to talk a little bit about the core, similar, core similarities between the Muslim faith and Bitcoin. And then lastly, we'll talk about some uh, Bitcoin giving and philanthropy. So without further ado, um, yeah, let's just jump right into it. If that's cool with you. By the way, I like those, I like those glasses you're wearing. They're, like, uh, they're kind of like retro glasses. Yeah, you know, I picked them up. Um, in Hawaii, I was in Maui a few years ago, actually at the bottom of the last bear market and playing around with the drone. Um, I, uh, it, was, it, was an, it was a series of unfortunate events where I, I flew my drone out and it got lost in the ocean um, trying to catch a surfer. And same day I lost my wedding ring and um, also stomped on my glasses. So, so this is the, this is the token, the souvenir from then. I love it. Well, you mentioned the bear market. Maybe we start there. Let's start about the current, let's start talking about the current market. And I mean, the note I had dropped, jotted down here was maybe some encouragement from a, uh, from a veteran who has been in, uh, in a couple different cycles. So talk us through, like, what are you seeing out there? And what would you say to maybe let's let's pick on the newbies? What would you say to a, a new Bitcoiner who maybe bought close to uh, the all time high? So and bef but if I can interject too, before you get into that, get us like how long have you been in Bitcoin and like what sort mm -hmm. of your, your back your back uh, story? Yeah, yeah, good. my my Bitcoin story. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, I was a computer repair technician in 2011. Um, college student, and um, I stumbled upon Bitcoin on Reddit um, and dismissed it heavily. Um, I, you know, being Muslim Palestinian in the U.S., um, it was it was 
not the best decision to head towards what Bitcoin was as, as a stigma that it was. Um, I didn't want to have those associations of drugs, terrorism, trafficking, all that stuff. Um, and I also thought of it as, as an internet currency, a means of exchange. Uh, hadn't really thought about it as um, scarce store of value type of thing. Um, and um, my uh, colleague was modding Playstations and Xboxes and stuff like that. And, and then one day he said, you know, I'm, I'm using the customer's computers while they're here, as long as they're sitting here and I'm mining this Bitcoin thing. Uh, and I had read about it on Reddit and it's like, are you crazy? You're trying to get the FBI to, to crash in. Isn't this thing going to get us in trouble? And um, so I stayed as far away from it as I could. And, and I saw the price go from six to 60. And I thought that was ridiculous. And, you know, I thought it was going to crash. Now, by the time I graduated in 2013, it, I graduated in December of 2013. So I watched this parabolic rise and I'm thinking, oh my God, this isn't going to end well. So I kind of stayed away um, the entire time. I was more interested in, in learning about like uh, the FANG stocks and, and S&P 500 and NASDAQ and all that. I'm thinking about long-term wealth and, and you know, I was reading value investor Ben Graham and, and, and the gospel of wealth by Andrew Carnegie and thinking about philanthropy. I wasn't really uh, thinking about chasing that, but um, 2014, I had like $3,000 to my name and I had a really close friend that was uh, basically talking to me about, you know, what are we going to do? Let's be entrepreneurial. Um, I said, I want to have a 3D printer um, and make these gadgets, cool stuff and, and sell them. Said, That's a terrible idea. You're thinking small term. You should, you should just set up a, a few computers and mine this thing called Litecoin. It's at 40 cents. You can mine Bitcoin. And I'm thinking, this is, this is not the way to go. I'm not trying to be, you know, I don't want to get into all that stuff. I, I really just dismissed it up until uh, really I had um, an awakening moment. I guess I was orange pilled um, mid 2017 when the, when the price had finally recovered. And I, and at that point I had read up about finance and, you know, financial markets and technical analysis and all that stuff and, and, and knew about the significance of uh, recovering from all-time high after after a drawdown and consolidation, so so I was thinking, okay, what what is this? Let me let me go back and see what those guys on the internet on Reddit were talking about, and, and got into BitcoinTalk.org and was reading forums and uh, and and then read the white paper and didn't understand it. Paid attention to Andreas Antonopoulos and uh, fell down the rabbit hole. Um, so I, I basically just put in some money and, um, and um, from May to July, basically, I, I made a June, end of June, I had put in a significant amount from what I had. And, and then it crashed, I guess, like I, I started buying it, I don't know, whatever price. And, and then it had like this drawdown, this crash because of the, the block size wars. 
Mm. And I was super upset. I'm just like, I knew it. I knew this thing was going to crash. There's like major manipulation. Um, and now, now it's going to split up into two. And I don't know where, where, how I'm going to extract the right, which one is the right coin and what is this? And, um, and then one day my, my, uh, after I had fallen down from like 2,800 to 1,800, I'm thinking, oh, damn, I just lost like half the money I invested. And uh, my wife woke me up like in the middle of the night. She's like, wake up. It's recovered. It's at 3,000. So whatever, whatever this hard fork thing, it, I guess the, the, they shook it off. So I'm, I'm like excited at that point. And, 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 and then and that basically just started me down my, my journey of instead of trying to buy it, let me try to mine it. And, um, and yeah, I, I, I just tried to try to figure out what the whole, what the whole space was about. And basically in my mind, I had it split up between, you know, the miners, the developers, the nodes and the users and never stopped, just kept getting deeper. So you were, you were a part of the the 2018 bear market you were already in for for that oh yeah oh yeah yeah 20 2018 was was a year of um testing my conviction uh i am sure a lot of people are going through that right now um and you know after so so i had i had um i had um uh, an actualization moment or or moment of truth um, after September of 2017, uh, really October 2017, when I when I saw um, the price go way above what I expected it to, ever expected it to go. Um, and, and I actually started selling at that point. I was I was trading in 2017 and and I was a shit coiner. Uh, I was uh, I, at the time I wasn't calling it that I was calling it altcoins and you know, looking for something that's going to give me more returns and all that. And, um, and so, so I basically regretted not having enough Bitcoin at first. Um, and then uh, Bitcoin had this little drawdown in December after I averaged more into it um, and then started chasing altcoins um, when they started rising in the beginning of 2018. And um, basically I ate it from multiple ways and I had, to, I, had to learn, I had to learn multiple lessons within a three month span. Um, 2018, beginning of 2018 was really rough and then it dragged on, um, you know, and, and you know, buying all the way down and until you get that feeling in your gut, uh, the capitulation uh, between December or November 2018 and, and January of 2019. Yeah, I can, I remember every moment. I was journaling heavily thinking, you know, uh, am I crazy? Did I fall for it? What did I do? Do you see similarities to what's going on right now versus what happened at the end of 2018? Or do you see, is this time different? I mean, how, how are you viewing it through that lens? It's, um, yeah, it's 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 very similar. Uh, it's not the same thing, that's for sure, uh, because there's a, a larger macro uh, force happening behind the scenes, and it's affecting everything. You know, they they talk about the everything bubble and all that. I mean, the end of 2018, there was 
uh, a taper tantrum or whatever, and, and that, that that escalated what was already going on with Bitcoin. But um, um, yeah, it, it's it's different in that now there's a real uh, global liquidity uh, drawdown. It's it's it, it's almost like a combination of 2018 um, and and March of 2020. That's that's how I see it. Um, yeah, okay. it's 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 um it's it's actually fascinating to see. It's fascinating to see how people are reacting. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, at that time too, Bitcoin was still very, very much fringe, right? It was very much like if you were in that, it was terribly misunderstood. It was not sitting on any corporate balance sheets. Definitely no country balance sheets. Um, so it's come a long way since, since that drawdown. So, and I feel like maybe not 2018, but if you go back to like 2009, just generally the markets, um, we, the communication was not nearly as fast, whereas you can get information out on Twitter now so quickly, um, whether it's, you know, Elon or David Sachs or any of those people. So that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out um, as well. If, if we keep going um, just overall, the markets keep going down. So, but we, we won't. So, but from an encouragement standpoint, you are, you are still stacking, right. And you are hodling. That's your strategy. Yeah, I am, I am uh, now uh, dollar wise putting more than I ever have. Um, I mean, you know, at, at first it was, uh, it was just a percentage of my portfolio. Um, I don't know if you want to call it an evolution or not, but um <laughs> I went from I went from having ETFs and uh, all sorts of investments from venture capital to you know, whatever whatever I could invest in to diversify, and now I'm just consolidating every bit of liquidity I have. All my capital is is basically going into Bitcoin and. Um, this time, it's not for fiat gains. It's strange, but I've, I'm really seeing it as like a migration to the to the new way of life, new system. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I really hope to pass on the majority of it to to future generations, whether it's my legacy being my offspring or or to philanthropy, and we can talk about that a little later. Yeah, what does what does Sailor say? Sailor says diversification is selling your winners to buy the losers. Yeah, yeah, it's all it's all an opportunity cost. Yeah. And it's and obviously, you know, none of this is investment advice for anybody listening. Um, but I mean, yeah, you're you're essentially you've completely changed your time horizon. Um, you know, it sounds like. And that has just changed your where all your capital is flowing. And now you're essentially ex trying to exit the system. I think you told me in Miami, you're, you're essentially on a Bitcoin standard. Now you're at least yourself and your family. Right. Yeah. 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 My, um, um, my wife is, um, a stronger hodler than, uh, I was from the beginning. Um, yeah, I just, I just tweeted something out about how she, you know, just yesterday she was saying, Hey, um, you know, I would have asked you to get this from the grocery store. I wanted to do this or that, but because of the bear market, 
you know, we don't we don't have to do this yet. Uh, so her her time preferences has has gotten much lower, and and she she understands it very deeply. Um, it, it clicked with her faster than it did with me because I was resisting and thinking about game theory, and I think I overcomplicated it at first. Um, yeah. yeah, my time horizon my time horizon now is I mean it, it, like I I still see at least you know, 20, 30 years to my career and, and productivity to society. And, and I'm not even thinking about four year cycles anymore. This is hmm. an opportunity more than anything. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's, let's transition over to the mining side. So mining is a hot topic right now. Uh, lots of, that's probably, I, I would say the main vector of FUD is coming from um, attacks on proof of work uh, mining. So talk us through how did you get into mining? And then the follow-up question is, would you recommend mining sats or would you recommend just buying sats for the average person? So um, my journey into mining uh, started out with uh, having difficulty sourcing equipment. Um, I, ha- I, had a, I had a, I guess, a moral... Dis- disagreement with uh, the what I, I I fell into the fud I guess you would say for for um, China centralizing mining and the, the concentration of mining coming from China and I was trying not to buy Chinese hardware um, and waiting for ASICs from anywhere else in the world and um, so so that resistance uh, pushed me to. Uh, GPU mining at first, where I was doing, you know, I actually started mining Monero and uh, trying to figure that out, you know, countless hours. Um, finally got a rig set up after forums and, um, and trying things out. And, um, and then it started getting more intricate, automating certain things. Um, and uh, I realized really quickly I couldn't scale out of my home I, when when the electricity went out and the circuit breaker, you know, the one two three, I had to <laughs> I had to scale out and and find find more power uh, than than all of a sudden. And this was I guess in in 20, uh, 2017, like the the latter part of twenty seventeen. So there was a lot of hype and there were a lot of people that wanted to invest. Uh, I was reluctant to take capital in, but uh, in 2018, um, I started having some some people that were really gung ho about going in and 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 adding on to what I was already doing. Um, so so that's how I started. I started with altcoins, uh, Monero, Zcash, Ethereum, and um, I thought it was the good good move because I was thinking, okay, so I'm using this so that I can have more Bitcoin later. And um, that's like you know. that's like the common theme, right? It's like even among all these altcoiners, at least in the early days. I don't know if maybe that's still a thing, but in the early days, it was always like the purpose of the altcoins was to get more Bitcoin, right? Like it was ultimately right. always about growing your Bitcoin stash, right? And, and it was more so back then because. Uh, ev- all the altcoins were paired in BTC, whereas now there's a lot of USD and and, and stablecoin pairings. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, um, the, but, ex- the exchange market wasn't as as matured. 
Right. Can you actually, can we take a detour? Like, what do you think, like what sets, so, so like, cause you mentioned this earlier, right? Like right now, it, people are waking up today and they're like, oh my gosh, have I been duped? I'm down like a lot. And like, there, there are people that are going to be asking very, themselves very serious questions today. Right. And uh, as they should, as everybody should, what, what is it about Bitcoin? Um, and especially through the lens of mining, like what is it about Bitcoin that is sort of like seen as a safe haven, right? What is it about as, in relative to the altcoins? What, what is it about Bitcoin that since to just like be like a gravity well that sucks everything back into it? So whatever I say is just through my perspective and my lens, right? And, I, and I'm sure I'm lacking with a lot of insight, um, but it really, it really clicked um, multiple times for me in different ways. Uh, when I started running the ASICs um, after, the, after the, the altcoin mining, I, I realized that mining itself, mining in itself, mining Bitcoin um, is such a um a fair system um yeah you talk you people talk about like the, the economies of scale and you know how other regions and, and 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 entities have cheaper electricity and everything but there are no barriers to entry um anyone can start contributing to bitcoin whether it's the the protocol itself or or mining um Anyone can buy, anyone, anyone can exchange, transact with Bitcoin. And um, I, think, I think the value comes from really, I see it as binary now, I guess it's arguable, but I don't see anything as decentralized, anything that's monetized like Bitcoin as being decentralized the way Bitcoin is. Um, and so what, what are the, what are the things that like, how do you define decentralization? Cause that's like a word that everybody uses. Yeah. What's, yeah. What's, what's your take on it? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, from the top, it's the actual protocol, right? Can't be changed by, um, a single Bitcoin core developer or, um, or Blockstream or, or any entity really that's involved, anyone, any stakeholder of the Bitcoin network, it, there has to be a consensus. And, and even then there has to be uh, a series. I mean, with Bitcoin, it's, it's an advantage that it's slow moving. Um, decentralization is in different forms. It's the decentralized in how you reach consensus, um, but also the validation uh, of the, the transactions. So the, the ledger itself, um, I think Jordan, you and I talked about this before. Uh, so as, as a Muslim, I draw the parallel of uh, the pristine history of the Quran and how that there, there are no different versions of the Quran. Um, it started out just being oral transmission, but it spread throughout the world so fast that it didn't matter who you took in any particular region, as long as there's one person that has it memorized um, throughout the world, you can reconstruct it, write it down. And there are so many different copies of the same thing that validate each other. 
Um, so, so Bitcoin, even if there's an orchestrated attempt to take it down, uh, you can take down the network. Let's say it stops running for a little bit. It can pick up right where it left off. Uh, I think, I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember if, if this is where, where my source is. So someone don't trust verify this. There is a copy of, or there is a Bitcoin node running I, I don't know if it's underground or in Antarctica or some really remote location. And I'm mm. sure that's been duplicated multiple times. So, um, so well, yeah. And of course, it. of course there's the, the block stream satellite as well. Immutability uh, is a big, is a big factor in determining decentralization in your opinion. Oh yeah. 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 I was just listening to a podcast yesterday about, and they brought up the Quran and it's like, there's no Quran that's enclosed in like a, you know, a glass case and, and uh, you know, anywhere where it's like, okay, that is the version that we all, you know, kind of measure against. It's just stored in people's brains. And, um, and I know when we saw each other, you were, you were uh, celebrating Ramadan and, and they were explaining on this podcast that like, the entire Quran is memorized or is, um, is spoken out from memory and even with all the punctuation, everything and in front of, I guess, in different mosques all around, all around the world. Is that right? Yeah. And, oh, yeah. and essentially if, um, you know, if one, if the person who is, who is reciting it gets even just a little bit wrong, someone in the, in the front row will, will correct them because they've had it memorized. And that in that same way, Bitcoin, if someone tried to change something that's going on within, you know, a transaction or duplicate a coin or whatever it is. Yeah. Then, then obviously that's just going to be thrown out. I, I it's, it's interesting because in, in the Christian faith, it's just not nearly as common for you to know someone who has memorized the, in, even sections of the Bible or the entire Bible. Right. So I just love the, the Muslim um, just analogy of this is this is how you can understand decentralization. Just look at how people have memorized the Quran and how they are dispersed throughout the entire globe, and that's how you just you cannot change <laughs> what it's what the Quran says. And in the same way, think about that with Bitcoin with nodes. So that is really that is, that is really interesting. The Im immutability. Um, so okay, I, I kind of got us off on a tangent. What's like? See, so you're in the mining space. Tell us, tell us what, just give us like your perspective of like what it's like being in the mining space. And like, if you can specifically comment on some of the FUD that goes around, right? Like proof of work versus proof of stake. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I uh, took the liberty to listen to uh, the your episode on Bitcoin energy. Well done, by the way. Thank you. Oh, cool. um, yeah. I haven't answered your question. Uh, so... <laughs> I mentioned that I had investors um, with the mining and and without a doubt, they would have been better off putting the money and buying the sats and buying Bitcoin instead of mining, right? Um, however, the Bitcoin that they have is their Bitcoin. Um, no former UTXO, it's, it was as, you know, Coinbase, 
the Coinbase nonsense. GTXO. For yeah, those who don't, for those who don't know, this this word is used. Uh, people don't realize it. There's obviously a company called Coinbase, but the word Coinbase is actually what exactly? Right. So so when you you have the the block subsidy, um, you have I think Kevin O'Leary calls it Virgin Coins. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, uh, so 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 you have um, you have the coins that are that that's the reward for the proof of work that you've done, and you know there there you look at the UTXO uh, once once you have it in your wallet, there's there's no prior. That's it. So it, it that those those coins start with you. Um, and that's and th- there are some advantages to that in the long run. You know, that's arguable too. But um, the, one of the one of the benefits of mining is that you have that is that you have uh, Bitcoin that that's that you I mean you see the fruit of your labor, uh, the capital that you put in. The, I mean, we we went through some time setting up the rigs and the shelves and upgrading the electric grid and, and all that stuff. So, so it's, it's the fruit of your labor and, and um, yeah, on, on a, with regard to uh, fiat denomination, uh, fiat, fiat denominated ROI, it's not there at first, but with a long enough time horizon, it wouldn't matter. You know, I had a, um, I went to, uh, one of the carnivore dinners in Miami, um, that's David Dean's thing. So um, they had a lot of home-based miners there. And one of the uh, Italian guys uh, that I met, um, not Giacomo Zucco, he was there, but um, they were talking about um, the different ways they use their miners. So they don't use it for for profit. I mean, they they buy Bitcoin peer to peer and all the exchanges and, and all that like anyone else. And um, but they also mine and they do it for KYC free corn. But they mm-hmm. also do it to heat their RVs or to heat their pools. Um, I heard all sorts of stories of uh, different things that they're using for to repurpose the heat and and. One one guy was talking about how he uses it as a sound machine for his for his baby to drown out the crying uh, and to help them sleep better at night. Mm. So people get creative with it. Um, yeah, but um, you know, if if you have a, a dedicated uh, group of people that you trust and you want to pool into getting into mining, uh, it would be better to 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 do that, in my opinion. Uh, cost-wise, if you can, you know, guarantee if you're looking for ROI in a short time horizon, you know, you want to you want to make sure you source the, the the efficient machines and and you pay little to no rent on this space and the least amount of electricity electricity possible. But I think everyone should run at least one ASIC in their home. Um, if you live in a New York City apartment or something like that, it's probably not a good idea, but um, but if you can, where you can, run an ASIC, and and you you get to be that's another that's another way you can participate in the network and add to the decentralization. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, are, do you have any concerns about the diminishing block subsidy? 
Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, so I haven't touched on your the, the energy part, but um, I want to get back to that. But yeah, we'll... yeah, yeah. But the, the block subsidy, um, I don't have a concern in the sense that there's like a, a, a what's known as the death spiral, right? Or you know, lack of incentives amongst miners. Um, I think that the equilibrium between supply and demand balances itself out. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, it, it would be interesting to see how the hash rate adjusts, adjusts to each having. I mean, we, we've, historically, we've seen the run-up of the hash rate regardless uh, of where the, the price cycle is and and, and and how how close we are to to a having or how how far we are from from the previous one um yeah i mean it's it's this it's, it's going to be another hundred years before we see how it fully plays out each having i think is going to add to the dynamics so concerns no but i'm very curious to see how it all plays out yeah it'll be interesting okay so so somebody approaches you and they say Bitcoin is boiling the ocean, but this new coin offers proof of stake. What do you say back to them? So, um, if if we're if we're hitting this from a from a, an ethical standpoint or a moral standpoint, I I, I don't just look at. So I look at energy, um, not just from like an electric and uh, carbon footprint or anything like that. I look at the total energy consumed, and you touched on it in your episode when you uh, about energy when you talked about like, well, compare that to the to the settlement layer of fiat or, or what it takes to store and transport gold, and, and it's minuscule, especially because I mean now it seems like a huge percentage of, or it seems it's all relative. So so now it seems like. Bitcoin has a lot of uh, energy consumption, but when you scale Bitcoin, it becomes more and more insignificant to think about the energy that it consumes. And when you when you look at the trade-offs of of the problems it solves, um, I mean, we, we with with the volcano or geothermal um, activity going on, and you have these companies that are innovating on uh, renewable energy mining and all that, I think it's going to work itself out. Um, boiling the oceans is, is a little dramatic. Um, like what's, being... what's your, what's your ethical or moral stance on this in terms of like energy consumption? Like, is, is this something that is worth, uh, you know, providing or consuming energy? So. Right. Cause I feel like if... that's, that's often the, 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 the point that people talk past each other, which is yeah. that like, if, if you fundamentally don't think that it's worth the energy, then you're just going to say that it's bad all the way through. But if you fundamentally think that it is worth the energy, then you're going to say it's, it's good all the way through. So if I were in Bitcoin for financial gains, then I would have had self-doubt about this. Um, because of lack of understanding on my part, but because uh, a shift that I've had where now I've been able to use Bitcoin as a source of good 
and understanding how I was able to, to help um, people around the world by using Bitcoin um, in a way that I cannot with fiat currencies or, or with any other way to transact financially. Um, there's, it's justified from, from that aspect alone, in my opinion. There's, you know, the, the, so I come from a I come from a region in the world that's known for war, um, and and the war isn't just about money and power. It's actually about resources, or specifically, you know, not just land, but it's 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 culture, it's everything, and um, seeing how. I'll just use what I know as an example, but seeing how uh, currency and economic sanctions can stifle an entire nation of people, um, it just becomes inherent to me that something like Bitcoin is worth the energy that it will consume and I'm, and I'm expecting it to consume more energy in the future and, and we're only going to be more and more efficient with energy um, and, and using the energy isn't a bad thing as, as long as we are utilizing it for the right reasons and not waste wasting and it, and it, and it, and it, it's energy is, is a resource and if you're wasting it then I, be, I think that becomes unethical we're actually using Bitcoin or using the energy for Bitcoin as a, as a monetary network. Just we're bootstrapping this thing. So, so right. yeah, I, th no, I, I, th I think that's the, that's the piece that a lot of people that no coiner, you know, if you're, if you're just a normal person and you've been, you've sort of tuned this thing out for a long time, you, you're just totally unaware of all the stories around the world where Bitcoin is using is has been used to liberate people from like financial repression, right? I mean, this is, these are like human rights issues that are extremely powerful to every human on the planet. And when you don't know that that exists, but then you hear that Bitcoin uses as much energy as Argentina, then you're like, well, yeah, that that doesn't seem right to me. <laughs> yeah, we should we should. By the way, we should get Argentina to use more energy. I mean, I, I know, right? they're, not using, they're not using that much energy. I mean, let's, let's, I, I think, I think there's a correlation between energy consumption and productivity. Um, yeah. I'm sure there are some studies out there about that, but. Um, yeah. Plus the fact that Bitcoin uses wasted energy too. I mean, the energy would have just gone away, right. And just not been utilized for any good. That's true, right? Just generally the amount of wasted energy that, and Bitcoin is able to use some amount of that. Yeah, I mean, since since Bitcoin is just like a digital product, it can be totally. You have so much, so many levers to pull, and so you can apply human ingenuity in all sorts of amazing ways. Uh, in this case, with 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 what you're talking about, is like there are a lot of use cases where we're just literally lighting energy on fire because it's the only solution that we currently we previously had. But now you have this like digital technology, which is which can be applied to, um, you know, in, in conjunction with human ingenuity to, to make, make a better planet really. Right. I mean, that's what we're all here to do. Yeah. yeah. Can, can you think, 
I'm just thinking now, can you think of another, another use case to, uh, to trans, to, to localize wasted energy? Um, I mean, I know I've, I've heard of energy captures around the world um, where it, it just doesn't make sense to actually, you can't, it, it becomes too cost prohibitive to try to transport that energy. So they actually just capture it right then and there. And a lot of times they have to just offload it or, or I mean, it becomes really cheap. So, it, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the ingenuity that you're talking about is is on its way and it's just beginning. That's what, that's the piece that I think that most people don't understand is with, with digital technology, like informational technology, you just open this whole world of possibilities that it's, you know, it's like the thing that's, it's the unknown that is going to change the world. It's not the known. Um, but ha so ha have you heard the Iceland story? Are you familiar with the Iceland story? No. Uh, what do you mean in particular? I know. I mean, I know mining is big out there, but so Iceland is um, Iceland has an abundance of energy because they have geothermal because it's a giant volcano, um, but it can't really be transported anywhere, right? Because like, see, the, the good thing about oil is oil is you can you can transport oil efficiently, but if you just have raw um, like inner like electric energy. Um, which is what all these renewable energies are, and you can't really transport it very far because you will lose you lose energy over the over the wire. Basically, the wire is a form of resistance which burns energy. Um, and so, with Iceland, they have an abundance of energy, but they like they can't really put it anywhere. And so, like historically, most of miner sending is most of the world's aluminum is actually manufactured in Iceland. And, and the reason for that is because energy is so cheap and aluminum is such an energy intensive process. So it's like, if you, I'm sure that there are uh, diagrams out there that would show this. It's like, there's probably aluminum ore that is dug out of the ground in China and then shipped all the way to Iceland and then man, like uh, processed or whatever, refined or whatever, and then shipped all the way back to China, right? That seems incredibly inefficient. But actually, it's the most efficient mechanism because Iceland has an abundance of energy, of cheap energy. So, yeah. So, you know, in a way, you can think of Iceland's exports not of aluminum, but they're actually exporting energy. See? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And Bitcoin does the same thing in that you can, you can functionally export energy if you have energy that is stranded by, by bringing Bitcoin miners to the location, right? Yeah. Well, maybe let's uh, let's pivot a little bit and just talk through. Um, I mean, we were we were all at the um, Bitcoin is well. I don't know. Did you go to the Bitcoin is Freedom uh, panel with Gladstein and and the three panelists? Were you at that yeah. one? Okay, yeah, it cool. Was that was probably the most uh, eye opening uh, panel that I at least that I sat through. And, um, you know, one of the guys up on the stage was Palestinian and, um, yeah, I just thought it, we'd give you a chance to kind of talk through how Bitcoin is, um, is fixing some problems, um, with, with whether it's sending money into, um, Palestine or just how, just how all of that operates between Israel and Palestine and the U S and Palestine. Um, 
I know it's a very, that whole, the whole thing is very misunderstood as we were talking about when we were down in Miami, but maybe talk us through how Bitcoin is helping in that realm. Yeah. So um, the, the first thing to understand about the situation of the Palestinians in um, ancient Palestine, um, that within the borders of uh, Israel is that there is no self-sovereignty, right? Um, the, uh, the people have been divided into three um, parts between the West Bank, Gaza and uh, Arab Israelis. And uh, they're all using the Israeli shekel. So the shekels are the medium of exchange um, and uh, the occupation that's happening isn't just military, it's an economic occupation. Um, so uh, on average, uh, by far, everything that the Palestinian pays for is more expensive than what the Israeli pays for um, because there's tax and value added tax and, and, and for it to go into, uh, even within the West Bank, um, a lot of, a lot of um, outside outsiders, even, even um, Palestinians in diaspora think that Palestinians operate independently within their own regions, like Gaza has uh, Hamas as a governing body or, or Palestinian authority over the West Bank. But really it's all governed by uh, and, and over, overseen by, uh, by Israel. So, um, I mean, over 70% of the foreign aid um, that comes from around the world to, uh, to Palestine actually goes through Israel first. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's really complex because uh, there are a series of procedures, policies, protocols that started this stuff. Um, even within the West Bank, you have like Area C um, or a Area ABC. Um, so, you know, like a, a village, like my, my mother and father's villages um, are bordering each other, but they can't go from one to another. They actually have, to, so where it would be like a seven to 10 minute car ride, it actually ends up being over an hour because you have to go around a series of villages and reach checkpoints. So there's a lot of taxing of, uh, I mean, there's no freedom of movement, um, import, export, uh, is a serious problem there. So just this, just the goods alone to import or export any goods for Palestinians um, is taxed at least 30%. Um, and, and, and it stifles econ the, eco the economy uh, for sure. Um, but Bitcoin opens up opportunities um, because, you know, where we're, we would have problems uh, donating to orphanages or hospitals in the past, um, we can now send them money, the best form of money, uh, without them needing to ask for permission from the Palestinian Authority or from the Israeli government. Um, they, they, they have that 
open, but there's still always that challenge now uh, of, of, of goods being transported. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Bitcoin being um, both, both seen as an opportunity for uh, Jewish Israelis and also as a threat uh, by the Israeli government causes some type of disarray and, and, and reluctance from a lot of the, the people that don't know any better. A lot of people are actually afraid to touch it. And if you offer to send Bitcoin to some people, they're afraid because they, you know, from the smallest things, sometimes they, they wake up in the middle of the night and they see people storm in their homes and, and they and they go to, they become political prisoners without trial, without due process. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a touchy scenario, but yeah, um, yeah. Bitcoin, Bitcoin is is solving some things, not everything yet. Um, yeah, and it, it's just it's a process. So I saw on Twitter too yesterday. Um, I think it was Muslim Bitcoiner who was who was chatting with someone about it. But that it sounds like that there were some Muslim scholars that are starting to come out. And um, I I learned a new word yesterday it was deeming Bitcoin haram or forbidden. Um, have you have you heard much chatter about that in the circles that that you run around in or um yeah just kind of touch on that from just like a scholar standpoint because it sounds like they kind of um guide a lot of how the law is interpreted and stuff right yeah yeah so um i really appreciate uh, muslim bitcoiners work because he he really dives deep on um, on um, the Islamic perspective of the fiat system. But um, so when something is declared haram, uh, if it doesn't come from the Quran directly or from the hadith, uh, like the sayings of the prophet, um, uh, then it's it's just uh, called ishtihad, like um, um, is it is there are attempts by scholars and as long as there's one conflicting view than the other then it's up to the individual to 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 do their due diligence so they so there can't be like a fatwa a a declaration of something being haram unless it's unanimous there has to be consensus about that um uh, i i think i think deeming something haram or deeming bitcoin haram comes from a lack of uh understanding of what bitcoin is like if if they were to say trading bitcoin speculating on bitcoin is haram um leverage on bitcoin is haram or or um uh, bitcoin collateralized interest loans is haram then that's different you know Mm -hmm. i I would i would tend to agree a little more um but saying that bitcoin itself is haram is is a serious uh, lack of understanding of what bitcoin is um, um, so Muslim Bitcoiners medium, uh, articles, he has three and he goes over that in detail, but, uh, the summary is that, you know, um, you know, what's your alternative It's fiat, which is, uh, lending based fractional reserve, um, RIBA based, um, currency that's, that's, that's created from loans and riba and i mean there are so many problems with with riba um this Which, and riba is just uh usury right it's just 
pretty much money That's making true. money, which is uh, forbidden, right? Right. So, 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 um, you know, I've I've yet to see I've yet to see an Islamic finance scholar uh, comment on on the fiat aspect of of how money is or how fiat fiat currency is created. Um, usury defined or riba defined as usury comes from money creating created from within itself so uh so you know we see now and I, it's becoming more common knowledge that fiat currency is created from this fractional reserve lending and and when banks lend out money um they're essentially creating money um, while Bitcoin is actually scarce from proof of work. And there's actually work that needs to be done. Right. So there isn't like a button where you're actually creating it. Um, and that's, that's, that's one of my major problems that I have with proof of stake because I see proof of stake as Ziba. Um, and, and yeah, so, so the, the Haram um, accusation of Bitcoin, I think, should should be curtailed more towards um, how you use Bitcoin, yeah. And 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 even then, you know, it's it's as long as there are different views um, from different scholars, then then it's arguable. There isn't like we don't have like a pope um, that just says it's haram and then we all have to follow that there has to there has to be evidence from the quran and the sunnah okay interesting um yeah it is the well i was listening let me make sure i get his name right because what i listened to again it actually lined up really well with this conversation um was a conversation that Saifedean had with uh, let me find it real quick Saifedean was just on uh, Lex Friedman, right? Oh, yeah, like I haven't listened that, to that yet. That pod just dropped. I'm going to have to go listen I need to that. to hear it. Well, yeah, but Her- while, while Harris, you're listening... Okay. Harris Airfon. Harris Airfon. It sounded like he worked at Deutsche Bank. Um, but anyways, they were kind of chatting about, you know, they actually brought up the book, uh, Thank God for Bitcoin. And uh, <laughs> one of, someone was asking, someone was like, we need to write the equivalent um, for the Muslim community and, uh, you know, orange pill Muslims at scale. <laughs> so, um, that was yeah. really, was Alhamdulillah really for Bitcoin. That would be the equivalent. Yeah, yeah. I need to, I need to try to get Muslim Bitcoin on it. I think he's a good candidate for that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's a small cohort of, of Muslim Bitcoiners, um, that, that deem Bitcoin as anti riba technology. And, um, you know, I mean, when, when we look at uh, the IMF and how the IMF operates around the world um, using fiat currency um, and everything that came about from Bretton Woods and how these central banks are, are, are basically just, you know, pressing buttons and dials and, 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 and how it's all determined from interest, um, that's, a, that's a fundamental uh, problem for muslims yeah i have um i have some some um like 
sources or some some actual sayings from um, like hadith and the Quran like as proof. So um, so this is narrated by one of the companions of the Prophet about the danger of, of riba, um, but basically saying that cursed is the one that the Prophet, uh, peace be upon him, said that the, the, the one who accepted usury is cursed, the one who paid it, the one who witnessed it, and the one who recorded it. So basically everyone involved. Mm. Um, and, and then that there are seven degrees of usury um, at least one of them is equivalent to um, some very vile acts. Um, I mean, yeah, there's there's a trickle effect to usury, and um, you know there there's been there's been extensive writing on on why usury is seen as that. so so usury is the only sin in Islam where um, you're called out as having declared war against God uh, if you partake. And, and there's, there's something that a prophecy uh, 1400 years ago where the prophet said that basically there's gonna be, there's gonna come a day where everyone touches usury. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and I think we're in it. I mean, basically you can't escape, can't escape usury at this point. Right. Yeah. And, and it's theft at, at the core of our system too, right now. Right. If you go out and if I went out and got a mortgage, that money just gets created. And then it, the person who's not taking out debt is being, um, you know, their purchasing power is being dwindled. And what the, the point they were making on this podcast is that, so, you know, the people who are taking out the debt, cause that is the best way to go about it in the fiat system if you're just purely from a um get rich kind of perspective but you're you are stealing from people who don't borrow mainly and there that is a large a large group of that group are muslim and so right. it's essentially muslims who are becoming poor at uh, at scale obviously because of the current system we live in um, which was really interesting. I never thought about it like that. Um, so anyways, if anybody wants to go listen to that, that is, uh, the, uh, Saif Adin's, the Bitcoin standard podcast, episode 59, um, with Harris Airfon. So, so anyways, well, let, well, we've only got a, a few more minutes. Let's, let's end it on a positive note. I want to hear about your Bitcoin philanthropy, how you've been able to use, um, Bitcoin, to bless other people around the world. I know we talked a little bit about that. So yeah, maybe a story you were able to help with Bitcoin uh, and just how, where you see it, where you see that going in the future. Yeah. Um, so I guess my journey uh, um, with Bitcoin philanthropy started um, this time last year. Um, where it really kicked off at least. Uh, I was on Clubhouse and I was part of the uh, Alex Gladstein dialogues. Um, we were talking to people around um, different parts of, of Palestine and, and then we kind of seared off into talking to re different refugees from 
Syria, Lebanon, Iraq, and, and all that. And, um, and, uh, and then there was this instance uh, where someone reached out to me saying, hey, um, did you know that in Gaza, they have um, currency exchange places that accept Bitcoin and, and give you local currency for it? And I thought, well, that's good news. So these people get it. Um, of course, you know, if you get caught sending to them, um, you can be accused of supporting terrorism or something like that. So I was a little wary and I, I had to make sure I, I knew who I was sending to uh, and what I was sending for and everything. But um, I, uh, I had some boots on the ground, uh, basically confirm certain people's identities. Um, and we found different families. Um, so uh, one of them, my favorite, who's become like a sister to me, I've never met her in person, but um, her husband was uh, imprisoned for um, basically um, aiding the digging of a tunnel where they were uh, moving um, like KFC type, like just fried chicken and stuff like that from Egypt and just food essentially. Uh, mm. Some of it was fast food. And, um, and, and that smuggling caused him to be imprisoned, no trial or anything like that. And, uh, and he was an educated person. Unemployment rate is over 60, 70% over there. Um, and if you are working more than likely you're working for the wrong people, um, like the government there or, or the militia there. So, so a lot of people stay, just stay unemployed. Um, but it, anyway, it led, it led this woman with five children to live with family and friends and whoever would take her. And, um, and, um, so, so I reached out to her because she, she was on a different clubhouse room just complaining about what was going on at the time. There was this big controversy over the annex, uh, annexing or annexation of, of neighborhoods in Jerusalem. So um, I asked her if she would help me um, and that I would pay her. So like a, like a part-time job type of thing where I would pay her to find people in need um, like uh, bystanders, people that were casualties of, of airstrikes, uh, children, um, any, anyone who was injured during the war and, and then you know people that were known to be extremely impoverished. Um, so she took it on. Um, I started by like sending her some, um, some Bitcoin. I sent her some stats. I just had her download a moon wallet. Um, you know, no email or anything required. Um, she sent me her uh, lightning address and, um, and then she sent me pictures the next day of what she was able to buy. She was able to buy butter, eggs, milk. Um, she bought uh, like diapers and a onesie for her newborn. And I was really touched by that. So uh, that was, that was, pretty encouraging for me to, to keep going. And um, yeah, at, you know, at that point, I just basically just 
started uh, using the hype of Clubhouse. Uh, people were just randomly on it. Um, and I was just jumping onto different rooms anonymously where they were sharing like culture and, and it was like feel good rooms and like, let's, let's, let's support each other through the war. Um, and, and it was, you know, a good way for people to, to communicate and just, just support each other from around the world. So, so, um, so I found other people that were willing to help. Um, and, um, and it, it just became a trend, I guess. Um, I found out that I wasn't the only one that was doing that. Uh, so, so we were, we weren't creating groups. We wanted this to be distributed. We didn't want it to be like a recurring thing or any, anyone to be uh, singled out and getting in trouble because, you know, if, if you're not um, sending it to a, to a credible nonprofit organization that, um, there's, there could be some repercussions. So we just wanted to localize it and make sure it was direct. And, um, and, and then we had some groups, some people try to convince some, uh, some, some charity organizations to start accepting crypto. Um, uh, and, and then we convinced them to not do crypto and just do Bitcoin and, and help them understand why. Mm-hmm. Um, and since then, I mean, it's, 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 it's taken off and, and now, uh, we had people that started sponsoring families and sending, you know, really small amounts, like 60 bucks, 120 bucks a month or something like that. That made a huge difference for some of these families. Um, and wow. yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't, I can't see any other way um, was able to do it. Even during Ramadan um, last month, we had a lot of people that were asking, Hey, I have some Bitcoin that I want to send. Um, can you find someone who is willing to cash it out for, for this group of, uh, of people taking care of refugees from Syria and all that? And, um, and yeah, I mean, I'm hoping to see that happen more often, but that's definitely enabled by Bitcoin. I, I, you know, you can't do that through Western Union when, when they can't even get IDs and um, they, don't, they don't have the, the, the the infrastructure to, to accept like cash app or Venmo or PayPal like we do. Right. Yeah. That book is high on my list. I need to order that. The, uh, the, uh, check your financial, check your financial privilege. privilege. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Alex Gladstein. Anybody's listening. I've only heard great things about that book. So, um, well, that's amazing. That's a really cool story. I think that, um, through you know all, so many people in the western world it's just like oh, i just want to see number go up uh, i just want to see bitcoin at a hundred thousand blah blah because blah, that's going to make me rich and i think that story is just such a reminder of what whatever happens with the price bitcoin is helping freedom go up all around the world and uh to kendall's point earlier you know that's a human rights just a win for everyone so great reminder i love that Come for the money, stay for the freedom. Yeah, for sure. Well, this has been really fun. I'm really, really glad we did this. We'll have to do it again. So, yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Um, I've I've loved your eight episodes so far. Am I the ninth? Is this the ninth episode? It's number nine. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. Cool. All right. Well. Um, yeah. If anybody wants to. Uh, 
follow your at is it's palestinian btc is that right on twitter yeah yeah okay cool we'll link great follow we'll, we'll link yeah. everything in the show notes too for sure yeah he's a great follow very humble pleb and uh it's just helping i know he's helping me get through this uh this bear market so good encouragement cool D- dca is the way yes sir all righty well we'll talk very soon thanks so much